Welcome right into the show. My name's Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. And if his spin rate was any higher, they'd call him Bill O'Reilly. It's Benny Horowitz. What's I'm covered up? in sticky tag? Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. What can I do with that stuff? Can I like? Uh... I mean, you know, I got kids. I use crazy glue all the time. Can, yeah. I, can I start using sticky tack instead? How could you use sticky tack in drums? Like if you, if you just put it on like so like you don't let go of the sticks. Would I mean, that help? Would that help you? It's a thing. <laughs> like when I was younger, I used to drop a lot of sticks. Mm. And I did start like taping sticks with different <laughs> shit and, and doing stuff like that to get grip. So there's definitely something to that. I wonder, I mean, and it's kind of gnarly, but if you were to interview any like punk rock, rock and roll drummer over the years, they'd probably have these stories. You know, your hands get shredded on tours. And early on, you know, before I was hip to, uh, you know, carcinogen creating chemicals and things, when I'd get these big, uh, you know, blisters and cuts in my fingers. I would like pour like crazy glue or something in there to like harden it up before the show. <laughs> um, so maybe sticky tack could come in handy with something like that. Oh, Remember man. that stuff, new skin? Yeah. Oh that man. Liquid. Yeah. People would use that, like new spray, skin. right? Yeah. And then I would start, I would like, I remember a tour in Europe where I just had these, you know, like I would take tissue and just like make these balls over my fingers and use duct tape. I was like a robotic man. And this is all, I actually used this analogy, I think when I was on that Howard Beck podcast the other day, or no, it was in a text with a friend. So, so this is breaking news. Mm. This is the equivalent of why nobody shoots granny style in the NBA <laughs> is the drum glove. Oh, the drum glove is the equivalent of, of granny. granny style and i've seen so many people myself included like the shack thing like i won't shoot granny style just because like i can't and at first i was like oh what is this machismo and then i thought about it for myself and i'm like wait i have walked around this world at this point with a bloody hand that hurts like fuck and it makes me even play drums worse like when it's really bad and i'm like Ugh. so and I won't wear a drum glove because, like, I think it looks weird. Oh, man. And I don't think it's cool. So, you know, we could sit here. I'll start the show by taking me off my ivory tower. I'm just as weak as everyone else and just as uh, can succumb to machismo just as easily as Shaq, you know? I feel like that's, like, the difference between, like, NBA players in, like, the 90s not watching what they eat and lifting, and then, like, LeBron comes around, and it's all about investing in, like, your body, and that's it's it. just, like, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I could talk to, like, my 20-year-old self, I would I would buy him drum gloves for sure. <laughs> but what else is new, man? What's going on in your life over there this week? Getting ready to record the new Mercy Union record. Uh, got 12 really solid demos. Now I'm at that point where I can like, I know the songs really well and can, uh, start taking them to the next level of like nuance mm -hmm. and, you know, really the minutia of the songs hosted my first band practice in my own home wow. for 17 years. <laughs> first time in 17 years I've had a 
gotten to play music with people in my own home. So it's been nice. Nice musical week. And by the way, if anyone listening has not gone and listened to the crossover, Benny was on with our good buddy Howard Beck over at Sports Illustrated. Uh, that was a heck of a listen. And then that was fun. You know, Benny got, got, got on a the little pod. love from Nets Nation. You know, Benny got on the pod, and then they come. Nets came out and obliterated the Bucks in the first two games. It just happened. I know. So we'll get in. Me. We will get into all this stuff. We'll get into the baseball scandal that we were referring to a little bit in the open. We'll get into the playoff series. But right now, it's time for this day in music history. I went pop today. Ooh, nice. Actually, way over the top pop. <laughs> on this day in 2002, mm. premiering on Fox is none other than American Idol. Ooh. Stemming from the British show Pop Idol, mm-hmm. having the original three judges, Paul Abdul, Randy Jackson, and then I hadn't realized until seeing this article that Simon Cowell was on the pop idol in, in Britain. And this was the way of like bringing a little bit of that show uh-huh. over. It started initially auditioning over 10,000 people in seven cities. Only 30 made it to the stage. So that means 9,970 people failed. At the initial American, <laughs> so there's probably a lot of stories out there in mm. the world of people who are like, "Yeah, I tried out for American <laughs> Idol one, you know," and then went on to be obviously this mega successful thing that totally changed culture. Didn't produce too many stars. Like after the first few years oh. of Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood, they kind of fell and didn't really produce too many more. But the reason I bring it up was because I think you know American Idol could have been. One of the one of the key points when we start looking at all this on a large scale of when, you know, the major shift in music started happening more with uh, user interaction, um, sort of the early social media entry, uh, kind of a open door into their personal lives um, and things like this. I wonder if American Idol uh and the long scale is going to be looked at one of the early dominoes that kind of created the um, sort of the, I guess what we consider now, just that sort of like open door personality to musicians where, you know, your IG storying like half your life and when you're taking a shit and, you know, it, like a lot of it stemmed from this when we started crossing, you know, music and reality um, and, and this, this might've been one of those, those key points. So some love to American yeah, Idol, I guess. Never course. really watched yeah. the program myself, <laughs> but you know, no, it's, it, it, it's funny that you put it that way. Cause I think when, you know, you think of like the three most influential music shows that have ever been on television, American Bandstand, Soul Train and American Idol. I mean, one of those things is definitely not like the other, but in, in terms of what it did for its time, Idol's, Idol's a hundred percent up there. Way worse dancing in that one. <laughs> All right, Benny. Well, on this day in 1993, here's what I got. What's love got to do with it? Open oh, across man. America nationally. It's the story of Ike and Tina Turner. A couple of fun facts, Some uh, to borrow a phrase, some casting what ifs here. Uh, Holly Berry. Robin Givens, Pam Greer, Whitney Houston, Jan Jackson, and Vanessa Williams were all considered for the role of Tina Turner. Wow. Whitney Houston was actually offered the role but had to turn it down due to imminent maternity. So she was expecting uh, a baby. So imagine that movie. She would have killed it. She would have killed it. 
Here's my question for that, though. Yeah. If Tina Turner does this, uh, excuse me, if Whitney Houston does this movie, do we not get the glory that is the bodyguard? <laughs> well, <laughs> she wrote the entire soundtrack, you know, like yeah. by herself. Um, and I, obviously she wasn't going to be able to pen any Tina Turner tracks. Um, but I don't know, man, like what a perfect mix she could because she was still young. She could have harnessed that like early energy of Tina. So, I mean, it would have been great. Would have loved to see it. Would have been great. Would have been great. But would have been. Oh, man. Oh, man. We, you know, uh, I've been trying to get uh, good friends, Zach Harper and Amino Hassan. So they do this movie podcast, Cinephobe, where they rate, where they talk about bad movies that uh, maybe didn't get a, a fair shake on Rotten Tomatoes. And bodyguard, thirty-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so not exactly, uh, not exactly a juggernaut. But well, it's what I mean. Listen, we talk about this a lot, and that you know I make a case for comedy all the time. Mm. But I think there's also a case to be made for like fluff, yeah, and things that know they're fluff. <laughs> it's like to me, the producers behind the bodyguard knew to not make it too smart too delicate yeah. you know like because it's it's a mainstream it's a pop love movie mm. you need these like really broad stroke narratives that slap you in the face and you need really cheesy over-the-top love plots featuring a giant star hopefully two giant stars <laughs> so i don't know the second half of that movie sucks though i'm all in for the first <laughs> yeah, hour of that bad. movie the it's second really, hour when it goes into an action picture <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. That's so as good. soon as they get to the cabin i'm like i can yeah. turn this off anyway. i mean really all i think about is like uh, a silk scarf being cut on a really sharp ninja knife <laughs> like that's that's what makes them fall in love you know all right, Benny. Well, first headline today, you know, we're going to turn our attention to the music in the streaming world. You know, we like to, I like to think no other podcast is really talking about the business of music the way we are. So the New York Times had a story that YouTube disclosed last week that it paid uh, music companies, musicians, and songwriters more than $4 billion in 2020. That's almost up. <laughs> that's almost up to the $5 billion that Spotify dished out. So I think the significance here is that it, you know, it, YouTube may pay close to what Spotify does, but it, it's it's a fact that it's the subscription model and that the advertising money is f that the music industry is finally getting some of that. So Benny, you know, people subscribe to YouTube, people hopefully subscribe to our YouTube channel, and the ad money kind of flows in. Uh, in the last couple of years, you know, artists have finally start starting to get a little piece of that. So Benny, do you think that we could see a future of music? where you subscribe to your favorite artist's feed and then you get whatever they want to put out for, say, I don't know, like $7 a month. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we're we're definitely heading further into the future, it seems, with, like, protected paywall content. I don't know if YouTube is going to be the site to provide that at this point because it's not really their model, you know? Mm. So, you know, I do think the future is there, but I think some other sites are kind of like ahead of the game on that, like things like Twitch and stuff where you're already um, paywalling video content, which is already happening. I guess the only thing YouTube could offer is paywalling like long form video content or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think the subscription thing on there is more for like, you know, the Logan in Paul's of the world and stuff than musicians, people who are doing these daily, you know, 
chats with their community and stuff like that, not musicians who are trying to like optimize it. So I took this article quickly and uh, as another one of those like affirmations that the music business is happy again, but there's no talk again about like bands or artists. Like this is basically a giant hand job piece <laughs> saying that like the major labels and the big companies are now pleased with how much YouTube is paying them. And it's because they've managed to paywall their content on there. You know, you can't find a, a stream of the office anymore. That's not like the peacock yeah. or like, you know, like they they've gritted up their stuff where now they've found a way to get another revenue stream from it. But as usual, like I go on YouTube fucking constantly to find people's music and not pay for it. It's all over the place. They take no interest in protecting people's stuff on there. It's hijacked over and over and over again. And not just music, like comedy and, uh, and television and all sorts of stuff. You would need like, uh, you know, a team constantly by yourself to monitor it. You, like YouTube doesn't even really help. So I think this is another one of those cases where almost the same way as the streaming services where the labels and the big dogs kind of found a way to get their foot in large enough that they're fine with it. But the whole model is still fucking over like small artists. And let me ask you this question, because I've never quite understood this. Explain Vivo to me and the audience, because it feels like that's been the way, you know, because like if like a music video blows up, you get the money from that. That seems like it's all going back to the record label. I don't know. So it's funny you brought that up because it's the exact thing I'm talking about. Vivo is owned by a collection of major labels and it was created as the ancillary to YouTube to start owning your own video content mm. online. So they were like, so it's basically them cornering their share of the market. That's what that site is. Mm. All right, Benny, let's turn our attention to the hardwood now. And Benny, we kind of have a series in Bucks Nets. Milwaukee was able to pull off a game three win at home. Uh, you know, that was a ugly ass game uh, to take a, um, but the Nets still hold a two one series lead. Only KD, Giannis, Kyrie, and Middleton showed up. Everybody else played kind of poorly, at least offensively. So, Benny, I still like the Nets in this series. That Bucks game last night gave me no confidence in them going forward, especially if it goes back to Brooklyn. Are you still a fan of the Nets in this series? Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you didn't gain any confidence last night because I was going to take every effort to chip your confidence <laughs> oh, away. No. Um, no, I don't take it. It's one of those classic deals to me that like i mean hey like what was i watching is that like 1994 last <laughs> night like i don't even know what happened like and Turn the way the it was officiated and i mean i hate i hate it to be the first thing that i'm going to bring up but it's gonna be the first thing i bring up I, like i don't like i don't think like the nba fixes games you know but the overriding narrative in the last week or two that has been the ire of NBA fans is the Nets, the idea of this inorganically like pieced together team coasting through the playoffs, like the Monstars, <laughs> you know, um, people are getting so up in arms about it. Like, I'm not even going to watch the playoffs, you know, and it could have gotten to that point. Like it looks like in the West, like we might have a, utah jazz or phoenix. phoenix like not these big teams 
the last thing they want is like one of these small teams against a team that nobody cares about outside of Brooklyn. So I think the idea, like they want them to lose and make one of these series tight and watch them sweat and let KD play some hero ball and let people remember like how good, like that is what the NBA wants. And this was a bizarrely officiated game. Like you got to admit it was like, so I don't want to say it's in, but I think it's in the mind of everyone, maybe even subconsciously, like let's try to help make this a series, you know? Guy loses one game and he's turned into the, <laughs> the worst version of a Knicks fan. It's unbelievable. <laughs> this I'm is saying there's a narrative the NBA wants and it's what happened last night. So that's, that's all I'm So what is this? The Nets version of the Ewing envelopes and like the frozen envelopes? Not yet. Not yet. We'll see how it all pans out. I can't well, imagine how you're going to react if said, this goes to 2-2. That, yeah. That being said, I mean, like, the Nets couldn't have played a, a worse game. Um, Joey Buckets had maybe like the worst game of his life, uh, especially in the playoffs. I don't know what's happening with Bruce Brown taking the last shots and things like that. <laughs> um, so there was just some snafus in that game. I think it's the first time, though, you saw like what I think Nets fans knew was coming is that there's a drop off with like you still need Harden a little too. You know, it's like. Mm there are ways to, you know, maximize the, uh, your defense enough on Kyrie and KD to put the hands in other people's, you know, or to put the ball in other people's hands enough that you have a chance to win. Like, like it's, it's a very, it's still a beatable team. And this is where, you know, if Harden's on the floor last night, the bucks don't win. So they still need them. Um, but do I think this is like becoming a series because of it? Not really. Like, I'm not a believer yet. We'll see on Sunday. Listen, I texted you this the other day, and this wasn't even on a night that the Bucks and Nets were, were playing. There's not a team in this playoffs that's better than this Nets team when they have it all together. I texted you this. You know, it's it's going to take the Nets 12 games to win the 10 games that they need to win the championship. That's how confident I am. Um, you know, I don't think that – I think that – Philadelphia is an interesting match, especially if Embiid stays healthy. And we're going to talk about Philadelphia in just a little bit. But yeah, man, I think that this could potentially be a cakewalk. Utah is kind of a scary team when they get it going. But it's the first time in forever that I can uh, look at an Eastern Conference team and be like, there is no equivalent in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, it's looking that way. It's definitely looking that way. Can we just have 30 seconds of Kevin Durant appreciation? Dude. I mean, is this not... This... Just just, this is beautiful basketball to watch. And if you can't admit that, you just... You shouldn't have... You shouldn't be given anything nice, you know? Kevin Durant's the most valuable player in this league right now. Like, he's just the most valuable player. Probably. I mean, right now, yes. Let's move over to uh, Jazz Clippers, shall we? And, boy, these playoffs have been incredibly wacky, and I'm kind of here for it. It's kind of been strange. Oh, yeah. The fact that, you know, the 
the Clippers are a team that on paper should be absolutely cruising, but you know, a couple of the, the, these other teams are better built teams. But the other game on Thursday night was Jazz Clippers. We saw Utah take a commanding 2-0 series lead. Donovan Mitchell's just been sick, man. 37 points last night, 45 in game one. 32 of those came in the second half. It was an absolute barrage. Nightmare to try to tweet out those highlights for Donovan Mitchell the other night, but that's just a personal <laughs> beef I don't need to bring on here. Um, so two-parter here, Benny. Is Donovan Mitchell finally getting his postseason respect? I think doing it against the Clippers, people are like, oh, wow, this is what we've been missing the entire time. And do you think that this series will be a short one? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Is my answer. I think uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, is definitely just cemented himself in an interesting way in the last two games, especially Mike Conley on the floor. Like, um, he's the guy like the guy there. And I think through some injuries and some snafus in the last couple of years, uh, he started casting more doubt. And I was for real one of the doubters. I think I talked some shit even on here a couple of weeks ago about not believing in Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. So, yeah, he um, he showed everybody something. His offensive game has become even more dynamic. And um, I trust his shot more. And, yeah, he's he's here. He's, he's special. Uh, do I think this is going to be a short series? No. I actually, I I have a weird feeling the Clippers could get right back into it. Um, and I th- I think, yeah, yeah, I have a feeling. Let's see. You know, like this is the way this playoffs is going. And the Clippers, you really see like Kawhi Leonard just getting like dusted up by the Utah Jazz in four games. Like, I don't see it. I think they like, they do some gritty shit and they and they get something else going. Um, I hated the lineups that Ty Lu was using in that last game. Like it was kind of strange uh, the way that was all working out. So I think you might see some kinks get fixed and the Clippers might. I think they might get back into it. It seems strange when I watch the Clippers because you know uh, got to give credit to Paul George. He's been doing a decent job in this series. There's a lot of narratives that I, I feel like the Clippers have. You know, the the Clippers are probably the team in this playoffs that are fighting the most amount of demons. You know, between last year, you know, like like Paul George is fighting his his own thing. They're they're battling like the very future of like the franchise. People were talking like a blueprint game at the end of the Dallas thing. Um, so I I don't think anyone is expecting to win them to win this series, but I definitely think it's gonna be a lot closer than they've shown so far. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. All right, Benny, we got an interesting pair of Friday night games. You know, we talked about uh, Phoenix and Philadelphia before. Let's start with Phoenix here. Uh, Phoenix looks to really grab hold of this series with the Nuggets as the series trans- transitions to Denver. Uh, we're uh, seeing uh, Phoenix's postseason uh, kind of give us the postseason run that we've always wanted Chris Paul to have and it's never exactly happened I love what we're seeing for that people are finally starting to give the guy the kind of respect and I've been the biggest slander of Chris Paul in this podcast um, I thought that contract wasn't worth bringing into M- M- Milwaukee um, though I don't think that Chris Paul has this, has this same kind of success if he's under coach Bud and the Buck I just don't but they knocked off the Lakers in the first round and now Albeit Denver's banged up, but they're you know they've 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 shown that they're head and shoulders above this team. So, do you think that this series makes its way back to Phoenix? 
It's just like Chris Paul would have fought Coach Bud. Yeah, now, right. Exactly. If he was his coach, <laughs> been like, "You fucking kidding me?" In the auto, it's like you're doing nothing, nothing. No, he's like, "We're doing this." So I do think it might have changed something there. Um, now I actually think I, I don't think this is going to be a series, and but I think it's less about the Suns and more about the Nuggets. Yeah, I think the Suns need to play like very good basketball right now, but not even great to beat this Nuggets team. It's just too beat up. Um, I feel like the last game, I I almost like just started watching them unravel and almost kind of believe it themselves that they're no longer like good enough to beat this team. I kind of felt like I saw it. So they, they, they seem defeated to me, but I mean, they also have Jokic, and, you know, they have like a, a player who can just put an entire team on his back and take a game or two. Um, but I don't think Denver has a chance in this series, even if uh, Nicola can just manage to, you know, carry him to to like a win or maybe two. You yeah. Know? And that's such a shame because Denver was one of the most fun teams to watch when they had, you know, the two man game between Jokic yeah. and like Murray during the regular season was fun to watch. Mary goes down and, you know, injuries this time of year, man. I mean, people shit on load management all the time. If you don't, you know, take care of your stars and stuff like that, you end up like Denver, promising promising yeah. season down the drain. If we got a starting five going into this playoffs with a healthy Jamal Murray and Will Barton, yeah. it's a totally different team. Exactly. All right, one more surprising awesome series. Benny, I've been loving this 76ers-Hawks season. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Trey Young and Atlanta were able to grab game one, but Embiid bounced back in game two. 40-point performance. If Embiid can stay healthy and gets his numbers, do you give Atlanta a chance in in this series? Nah, probably not. Mm. Um, Like, that's just he's, he's too good. And he's got, he's got the pieces around him. Like that, that's like the way this team was built is that Philly clicks when Embiid is just dominating and can kick out to Seth and can kick out these different people. And, you know, Ben doesn't have to score at all. Like that's when Philly's, what, what was he like two or three? Yeah. <laughs> Last game, he didn't even try. And that's when Philly operates the best is when he's not even an option on offense. And that only works when Embiid is at just full tilt, you know? So like he's one of those players when he's, he's at this full level, he's easily a top five player in the league to me. And Atlanta doesn't have anybody that can match that yet. But if there's any chip in his armor and he has to really miss a quarter here, go to the locker room here, miss a game here. I think they're truly like uh ripe for an attack. And this Atlanta team is just the team to do it. Um, they're sprightly and deep and they got uh, big cojones. They, they're acting like they've been here like every playoffs for the last four years somehow. And, you know, I really I love what they're doing. Um, and I think they're just the team to surprise someone if, you know, there's a little bit of a chink. So uh, full tilt, I think the Sixers still take it. But I do think we, we're, we got ourselves a series. I don't think it's going to be short. Yeah, man, this Hawks team—they've—they've they've got shooters for days. Every time I watch a Hawks game, I get super sad that somebody opened their big mouth and Bogey Bogdanovich isn't a Milwaukee Buck right now. I mean, it, it would have made a big because I think the thing—you know—a lot of people didn't realize who aren't like NBA files, you know, like such as myself. 
is that Bogdanovich isn't <clears throat> just one of those like standard two guards. Like he's like he's a ballsy character. You know what I mean? He's got like that moxie. He wants the shot. He can handle. He'll mix it up with anyone. His teammates like him. He's like he's a presence. You know, he's kind of like he's worth the money, and he's he's going to be a lot of fun in Atlanta. It's kind of the perfect backcourt. That's a fun yeah, fucking so tandem. Fun. I mean, then. Then if he's not open, Kevin Herter's open, and he just drains threes. And instead, in Milwaukee, I'm dealing with Brent Forbes. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, the interesting thing about the way this is playing out, though, is like, uh, you know, I know this is outside of the playoffs, and we're already going into the offseason, but I think John Collins is gone, huh? Yeah. I mean, he's playing such a minor role in this offense. He's such a talented player that at this point, I, it's not that he's not worth the money. I don't think he's worth the money to that team because he's going to cost so much. And I really don't think there's a big enough role for him, it seems. I think, you know, the way that McMillan plays, it's not exactly like suitable to what John Collins is trying to do. But John Collins seems like the kind of guy, you know, he'll, you know, he'll probably end up in like an Orlando or like a, a Sacramento play there for a couple take years. The challenge. Yeah, yeah. But like take the I money, take the challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, I don't Jeremy see... Grant on us. <laughs> but I, I don't see him as like a piece on any sort of championship team unless he gets super lucky, you know? Yeah, yeah, who knows what he falls into. All right, well, Benny, thank you for the great transition there. Um, we're getting into coaching carousel season, off-season rumors. It's really the season where the tune-up thrives. I mean, we can break down the games okay, but conjecture. Where the NBA thrives. Conjecture, right, exactly. Yeah. So, Benny, while the team's getting eliminated, the NBA coaching carousel is heating up. We have openings already in Portland, Orlando, Indiana, and Boston. Um, Terry Stiles and Steve Clifford were both let go by their respective teams and are hot names on the coaching market. So let's go one by one. Let's kind of, uh, I'll bring up a team and you'll tell me who you think would be a great fit there. Okay, cool. Give it a shot. All right. First up, Portland. Who do you like for Portland? Jay Kidd already withdrew his name from consideration this weekend. Um, I then thought that would have been fun, but Benny, who do you like in Portland? I kind of like one of these, like, you know, since I think Portland is fully locked into this roster again mm. for at least the next year. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know what they could do. Bringing in someone like, you know, a Steve Clifford, not going to work. Like, that's not happening. Yeah. I think the thing you would need is like a Steve Nash type of hire for this. And his name might come up a few times in this conversation, but Chauncey Billups is a very interesting character for this team and both another one that you're going to bring up um, just for like, I don't know, you know, like we will never just the same way we didn't know with Nash or Steve Kerr or any of these guys. We don't know if they're X's and O's people yet. You don't know until you watch them coach basketball, but with the roster and with Dame and it's kind of just feels like this perfect fit point guard, to point guard, like let's get it done. So I don't know. I kind of like Chauncey over there. I wrote down the same exact thing. Dame wanted Jason Kidd. Well, you know, Jason Kidd may not be available and you know what? Maybe Jason Kidd's not the answer. Maybe have a yeah. point guard that led his team as cur as currently constructed to a championship as a player. Didn't have to join a Dallas team to get his ring. So, you know, I think Cha Chauncey is definitely the guy there. I mean, I love, and I love when this happens. I love how 
being the analyst on ESPN leads GMs in the front office to think, oh, this guy could be the future of, of, of yeah. our franchise. And Chauncey Billups did just that. So Chauncey teaming up with Dame, I think that that it, it may be a Steve Kerr situation where the old vo- voice just got worn out in the locker room and you go to this new younger voice, fresh ideas could be promising. All right, the next destination, Benny, let's head to Indiana. Who do you like in Indiana? I mean, that kind of seems like a Steve Clifford town to me or something yeah. like that. Um, no, actually, the the name we brought up on text, uh, I kind of maybe like Stotts moving yeah. over there. That kind of seems like a team. Again, like that's a team that's ready to win. You know, that's not someone – I think they made a mistake – bringing in a, a complete unknown on, on a year that like you actually kind of need it to come together is, is a big swing, you know? Um, I don't know if it was fair to Bjork in the kick him out so quick, but that's what happens when, you know, that's what happens in this league. So I think Terry Stotts might be a good answer there for another team. That's going to like try to take a step forward and kind of glue the pieces together a little. And I'm sure that podcasters and radio personalities that talk about this league are very happy not to have to say Nate Bjorken all the time anymore. Because that, that, <laughs> or spell it. Yeah. That didn't fucking get you. But no, I like Terry Stotts as well. I think Terry Stotts, you know, there are two kind of directions when you're a coach, when you're evaluating a job that you kind of go. You're like, where can I extend my career and maybe coach for the next 10 years? Uh, or where can I win a title? I think Indiana is the kind of place where, you know, Stotts could be the, their coach for the next 10 years. He's great with young teams, and I think that they need that. I think they need, like, the development guy, a guy who's been battle-tested. Um, sometimes that guy can lead you to a championship, but I think he can elevate Indiana maybe from, like, a like five or six up to maybe, like, a top-four team in, in the Eastern Conference. And at this point, sure. that's all that Indiana can hope for. All right, moving down to Orlando. Benny, you have any idea who could possibly take over in Orlando? I mean, obviously, I don't know. There's yeah. no inside knowledge or anything like yeah. that. But I'm wondering I'm wondering if Lloyd Pierce already has a place down there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't have to move too far. Um, and then, uh, potentially, what about Mike Brown down mm-hmm. in Orlando? You know, like, classic players coach. Um, you know, the people love him. A lot of young players there, kind of a re rebuilding team with good young players. I could see Mike Brown being a cool option down there. A name I've actually heard is Penny Hardaway, which I think would yeah, I, I I think I mean, it's a long you know? shot. Um, but then I've also heard from people like directly in his camp um that he's not interested in it, which I, I don't I, know. He's how- doing a pretty great job. Yeah, he's kind of making a name for himself. But also if an NBA team comes knocking and you're a college head coach, you take it. I don't care if it's the Orlando Magic. Oh, like Orlando would especially make sense considering his his history there. But you know, I I think right now he's currently in the middle of a okay. I've returned home to a place. Love is conditional. Love is conditional on winning, especially in in this league. Uh, so Memphis has has had success, but they haven't been able to take that step. So. But he's already rich. There's the thing with a guy like Penny yeah. Hardaway. He's already rich and famous. Mm. You know, he's not Brad Stevens. Right. He's, you know, he's not like this name that no one would know if it wasn't like, like to me, what looks better? Like, you know, Penny Hardaway leaving the NBA and going to this college program and turning it into this big thing and really successfully 
turning a town around that he cares about or going to Orlando and crunching your way through like 19 wins next season and everybody questioning your job within 20 games and like, I don't know. It doesn't sound all that good to Mm. me. It must be the fucking king of Memphis. Imagine walking around (laughs) uh, to eat with Penny Hardaway these days or something. You know, you might as well throw petals at his feet. I don't know, man. I don't think Memphis is affording that private jet life that Penny needs. <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about the private jet. I'm talking about the Beale Street life. Oh man, you know he's he's got the full he's got the full racket on that town. You know, Penny Hardaway walked so that John Morant could run. Um, but another name that I've been hearing for Orlando is Darvin Ham. You know, the Bucks assist, and he 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 he's okay. going to get a look with every single team this offseason and Orlando is a nice place to have your first NBA head coaching job because you can only go up from there (laughs) I guess so (laughs) one more destination this is probably the most intriguing one Benny what's going on in Boston I mean that's the other one where like if if Portland's not interested in Chauncey Billups I really like him there too like those are the two places I think he might wind up and I think he's the hottest candidate I mean especially like Boston now, too, I mean, this is a completely separate story, but just as a matter of optics for that team and their image and themselves moving forward, they need to at least seriously consider or definitely hire a person of color as their coach, especially after like what they did with Brad Stevens and that old boy country club hand job agreement that they all worked out to to figure out what ha- whatever happened over there. So I think um, that's another thing that's in consideration. I, and I, I like Chauncey also maybe for that job. Yeah, you know, I think a name like 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 Sam Cassell could land there. But there's also right, been one, too. The yeah. one other name that I think could have some traction. and that's Jeff Van Gundy? That's Kara Lawson, Benny. You know, ah, the Duke right. women's basketball coach. She was oh, yeah, on we got sta- Becky Hammond out there, too. I I, yeah. yeah. Uh, she, but... Kara was on Brad Stevens' staff in the bubble last season for the past two seasons, um, and a lot of people up there love her and just what she does. So if Brad is making the decision, it checks all the boxes that you need. I don't know. It could be interesting. Imagine this for Kara Lawson. Hasn't even coached an actual game for Duke, and she's already getting an, an NBA job. How about that? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think I changed my mind, too. I just... Now that I realized it and put the pieces here together in my head, I like Becky Ham into yeah. Orlando. Yeah. That's oh, kind of Becky like Hammond. a perfect fit. Low expectations mm. at first, like young team. You got a year or two to get get your thing in place, you know? That could be that could be interesting. I think she does the Mike Brown thing because Mike Brown, I think, is waiting for a very particular head coaching job, you know, to try yeah. to get his, his chance. I don't think Becky leaves san antonio for orlando maybe a team like charlotte but not orlando maybe she's a big markel fultz fan (laughs) all right benny a a recent report from sports illustrated taking anonymous anonymously among major league baseball players believes that 80 to 90 percent of pitchers are applying some sort of foreign substance which they call the sticky stuff Sticky they stuff. could have picked a better name. Um, several, <laughs> several of the pitchers who spoke to SI said that their teams have encouraged them to use a foreign substance to make their uh, pitches spin faster. Uh, some of the club's preferred uh, formula available to players, and at least two players have employed chemists to come up with their own personal formula. That's in- completely out of hand. But, Benny, what do you make of this, and what do you make of Garrett Cole becoming the face of this scandal? 
you know, I, I'm a big Garrett Cole fan now, mm. obviously, but I, I like, I at least like the fact that he basically had an admission without an admission. And I think all players know now that this, like the hammer is coming and everyone needs to get ahead of it basically. Like, and as far as I know, it seems like the players union has accepted the fact that the hammer is going to come down and everybody in baseball knows it's coming. It's almost like this, Hey, we knew you were all doing it, but now we're going to care, you know? So like, stop now. Like they're giving him kind of this thing. So I think Garrett Cole is smart and, and guys like Trevor Bauer too, who are like, basically like, yeah, like I'm using it. Cause I told you everyone is using this like four years ago and you didn't care. And then I had to because people were better than me because of it. So I think uh, Buster only was reporting on it, that it was very similar to the steroid scandal in that way, where it was, it was player driven, where it was actually coming from the players that it's like, yeah, this is getting out of control because when you can master spin rate, and optimize it the way they can now, especially with this sticky stuff. And then also how they've learned to, you know, uh, uh, scientifically, you know, mask their arm angles with different pitches. So the fact that you can't even tell if it's a 95 mile an hour fastball or an 82 uh, mile an hour breaking ball. And now that breaking ball is dropping an extra inch or two or something. It is becoming like, for the sake of competition, unfair and annoying and not as much fun to watch. So uh, I think it's a huge problem. The thing I'm fascinated to see now is like not often in sports do you get like such a clear scientific A to B example of who was using this stuff. Because like you're going to watch a couple players in the next couple months their strikeouts are going to go way down because they just, I think it's been going on for a while. People, there are probably players who were super accustomed. Their whole game is built around using this stuff. So I think we're going to see a really, really fascinating kind of drop off in the next couple of weeks or, you know, guy like Shane Bieber or something, all of a sudden is getting two strikeouts a game instead of 11, you know, I think baseball, you know, they brought in Theo Epstein to try to make the game more exciting. Here's what I propose. Steroids, bring them back. Sticky stuff, make it legal. I so want... Keep I want, the sticky stuff. Add steroids. I okay. want balls flying out of the park, or I want a 12 to 6 drop on every single curveball. I want it to look like you're playing MLB the show. You want to get kids involved? That's exciting as heck. It's going to do exactly for Major League Baseball what Steph has done for the NBA. This is exciting. What's everyone freaking out about? I just picture now like someone who looks like The Rock. (laughs) Exactly. Just like whiffing at the most insane pit. Like just because you make him strong doesn't mean he can hit a baseball. It's the whole Barry Bonds thing. It's like Barry Bonds had to be a great hitter first then add the extra strength to make the ball go farther. But there's no amount of steroids that can make you hit a fucking, you know, a chest and knee curveball. That's good. The two things I think maybe uh, if you had something that like maybe let him uh, 
what's something that could sharpen their minds? Like maybe if we had some kind oh, of oh, like yeah. like like that drug from the Bradley Cooper Limitless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just be like, hey guys, you're allowed to do speed now. You know, <laughs> hey man, cocaine for position players, just like the late eighties. Bring bring back the psychedelics. You'll have perfect yeah. games, dude. It, just make baseball fun, okay? Yeah. Like integrity of the game, my ass. You know, you you're the only sport that gets caught for cheating repeatedly. Take all these unwritten rules out of there. Let's just make it fun. You know, right, I have a better one then. Yeah, better one instead of steroids. You bring back cork bats, metal bats. Yeah, and and maybe like you make the ball a little bigger. A little yeah. Fatter. Oh boy, we've gone off the rails here, but that's Benny's other podcast. We are the Tune Up. Finally, you know, every time you go to a concert, you want the band to come back for one more song. Sometimes they don't feel like it. Sometimes they're like, we played our set. We're done. That's not what we do at the tune-up. We come back for one more take, one more theory, and a segment we like to call the tune-up encore. Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need y'all to roll. I think it was kind of like a buried story this week about... Johnny Manziel, Manziel, <laughs> finally admitting like fully to how much money he was making as a college player, you know, being offered thousands of dollars for autographs and then being escorted in to hotel rooms where images of himself were laid all over the hotel room and handed $30,000 to sign his picture all over the place. Like this is a pretty like, you know, it would either take a total psychopath to make that up or it's a really, really, really crazy admission as to not only what we all thought and knew was already happening in college sports, but kind of the openness in which it happened, you know, and uh, made me think about also how, uh, how quickly these kids could be like linked to like the criminal underworld and how gambling and things like that could be fixed in college sports so much easier because of it. So it's like one of the things I don't think we talk about in paying players in college is, you know, these small things that probably happen all the time. And if you're telling me there's people who are willing to lay out thousands of pictures of Johnny Manziel in secret hotel rooms with $30,000 worth of cash and escort him up there. There's not people rigging like division two basketball games. There's not people like getting to the inside of these kids. Like they fucking are. So I think we need to talk more about that and start paying them even quicker as a result. A couple of college basketball coaches, Mark few of Gonzaga included have been testifying on Capitol Hill uh, this past week about the fact that we need to have, a nationwide sweeping national letter of intent laws. Um, and the reason why they're going to, you know, the U.S. government uh, is because it's about the topic of amateurism and a sweeping statement because you can't have fair championships if, say, you know, it, you have uh, a guy can make whatever they want in California, but they can't make anything in Alabama. So right. I think that's... Uh, a sweeping judgment should be coming soon. Um, but the entire state of college athletics, I mean, it's, it's, it's really becoming farcical because you just need, you need to be able to pay these guys 
and stop hiding under the guise of uh, amateurism. That's right. Anyway, Benny, my encore for this week, and, and it's just you know something that I'm pretty passionate about. Benny, rep- representation is very important, especially when it comes to cinema and stuff like that. And very rarely does a big budget movie get made that features underrepresented communities. Benny, I just want to want to have the entire tune-up audience go out, go to the movie theater, whether it's an outdoor situation, indoor situation, go see In the Heights. It's a story by Lin-Manuel Miranda, John Chu, the director of Crazy Rich Asians, directed uh, about Washington Heights and living there. Um, even if you're not from New York, um, it's still cool anytime a story about you know an underrepresented community is an overwhelming success, and they will make more. Look what Black Panther did for black stories. Uh, I think that a movie like In the Heights has the potential to do that for Latino stories. So... Pretty cool thing that's happening right now. Go see it. Pay the money. Box office matters. Take it from me as someone who's been watching Moana once a week for like the last four <laughs> years. That guy can write a song. Okay. <laughs> he can write a song. Woo. What a great songwriter. Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. You can follow us on all the social platforms at the tune HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1. Number one in your mind, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I'm at Benny underscore. I am, whoa, hold on. I'm Benny underscore Gallagher. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Long week, folks. My bad. Freudian slip. <laughs> Then you got anything else? That's it. Let's just rededicate ourselves to kindness, friends. Amen. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.